Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show, everybody. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, or you're thinking about becoming one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a serial entrepreneur myself. I've counseled lots of startups as well, and lots of friends who are entrepreneurs over the past 30 years. I have seen a lot of mistakes, and I've made a lot myself. The show has two goals, really. First, to share information and resources that might be helpful and hopefully help some of you not make some of those mistakes that I've made or that I've seen my friends or clients make. The second goal is to inspire. You know, being an entrepreneur can be lonely, confusing. Sometimes you have no idea if you're on the right track or not or where to turn for good advice. So to help with both of those goals, I have guests on my show every week who are willing to share their stories and or their advice. And this week, my guest is Jeff Galis. He is the president of On Purpose Growth. And he's here this week to talk about a very interesting topic, which is when you have someone in sales who is integral, sometimes it's challenging to get that person out of the day-to-day trenches and allow the company to be able to scale and grow. So if that's a topic that you've thought about, or if you struggle at all with sales, Jeff is your person, and he's here to share with us both a little bit about his story, but also to help give you some advice that he's learned along the way, probably with some hard knocks, my guess is, right, Jeff? Just a few. Yeah. So, Jeff, thanks so much for joining me this week. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to a fun conversation. Me too. The first place to start, I think, is just to talk a little bit about your business and what your company does. On Purpose Growth, I founded it nine years ago with one simple idea, and that was to help entrepreneurs, founders, and leaders grow their company with a sense of purpose, both matching what the company's purpose is and doing it with purpose rather than luck. What a great lead-in because... One of my favorite topics is really the fact that a lot of entrepreneurs that I, in fact, have worked with and that I'm even friends with say they want to scale and yet they cannot stop themselves from being involved and mucking about day to day bit of the business. So I actually, I don't think that's too far from the weed. That's probably pretty close to, <laughs> to the topic we're going to talk about. But, you know, before we go there, Jeff, you're also an entrepreneur yourself. And so I think it might be helpful just to share a little bit about your background and why did you decide to start this business? So I, I actually have just as much of a process improvement or continuous improvement background as I do sales background. My father was an entrepreneur. I started selling for him and doing work for him and reach outs and all of that fun stuff. And What I found from watching and learning from him is he absolutely hated sales, which is as a son, both in wanting to support him and irritate him a little bit, I jumped into the world of sales marketing. Sales marketing is a good place if you love it. You know, people who can sell are in need everywhere. You're right. There's always going to be a need for those that build relationships and create opportunities. And 
in learning from that, what I would tell you is that especially for small businesses, most salespeople are really problem solvers. And you're trying to find that match and doing a good job of it means the sales will come. And that's that's really what I hope to do is work with those entrepreneurs that are are not unlike my dad in the idea that they want something bigger and better. They have a great idea, but nobody told them that that great idea is armed with sales and the need for sales. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. Well, it is. And I'm I'm probably one of those people that's not very good at sales. So you are working for your dad, but how did that lead you to start this business? Yeah, so I was working for my dad when I was probably 16 all the way through 2021 when I was in college. Um, when I graduated college, I put down that sales hat and did a, a bunch of consulting work, whether it was for process improvements or continuous improvement or measurements. And what I learned there is that even great project people, even great improvement people needed sales. So then I jumped the boat and went over to the dark side. I took a couple sales gigs, including a sales consulting and training gig. And what I learned there was that sales training and sales coaching and all its glory didn't really move the bottom line as much as, as we would have liked. So I, 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 gosh, now 10 years ago, went to the boss where I was doing the sales coaching and said, I, I want to do this whole structure and process and systems idea as opposed to just doing individual sales coaching. And long and behold, he didn't see that as a fit. Uh, that was a Friday. We disagreed on a Monday. On Purpose Growth was started. Wow. You know, I want to pick up a, a thread that you mentioned. And that is that even project managers and process improvement people and even other subject matter experts need sales expertise. Talk about that a little bit more. I always joke that that uh, the smart people go and get you know very highly specified, highly specific skills and and degrees, and nobody tells them that if you want to become that high level producer, whether it's a lawyer, whether it's an accountant, whether it's an engineer, any of those specific skills, and now these days uh, software developments, that's one of the key traits is going to be sales and building relationships and closing deals. And they don't offer any training or coaching or support. And what most of those firms do is you sink or swim. My daughter just graduated from college with a degree in statistics. And she jokes about how nerdy a lot of them are. You know, they struggled even to do basic presentations, much less sales. So... You know, it's almost like in a lot of these STEM-related departments, you could uh, make a good case for presentation and sales courses that people really need to take or they're going to find know, themselves pigeonholed. And that's where the what I think the fun part comes in is those people with those specialized degrees or the specialized skills and now is when they decide to start their own firm, there, there really is a choice there of, of am I satisfied with the network and the relationships I have leading me to the business I have, or do I need more? And yeah. I work with a lot of engineering firms and a lot of, of <laughs> uh, the like. And what I would tell people is you at some point you have a choice. Do you want to be you know, the, the project managers that are going out there and doing great work, but you have a natural ceiling if you don't have the sales ability and the ability to develop deals 
and relationships and and present your ideas. Yeah. Just well, a, and, and there will be a certain number of people who are just happy doing their thing. And that's okay too, right? You know, absolutely. And I, I think there's... <laughs> There is just as much need today as there ever was. And those people, we do a lot of goal setting within these engineering firms. And I, I can tell you that that there's a fair amount that just want to become the best at what they do. And that doesn't mean being an entrepreneur or a business owner. And not only is there nothing wrong with that, if you feel the need to be an entrepreneur because of social pressures, it ain't going to work. It's going to give you more headaches than it's worth. I hope uh, you entrepreneurs uh, or would-be entrepreneurs out there listening to that nugget of advice. So Jeff, what are your target clients? Our target clients are, are really simple. And it's those that have reached a ceiling based on the individual work that they can do, or maybe one or two other leaders can do. And they really want to scale their company past their network and their relationships, uh, or even their ability to close. We refer to these as founder-fed organizations. Sometimes that's as low as one or two million, but a lot of times it's in the five to ten million dollar range. And they just want to grow and they want to grow not just for the money and the the IPOs and all that fancy stuff, but because they really want their idea to be out there and they want that that I'm gonna say our our target audience is beholden to the idea that they're running with. And those are the people that we love working with. That's an interesting target description of your target group, because I'm guessing some of them are more natural salespeople, but some entrepreneurs really just aren't that good at it, honestly. And some of them are maybe good at it, but they don't want to let it go, if that makes sense. Can people that are not naturally gifted at sales can they get better at it? Really? Oh, abs- absolutely. And say, I, I take umbrage. I think that's the right word for anyone who, who talks about the natural salesperson. There is no such thing as a natural salesperson. It doesn't exist. What we do see are people that have been honing those skills since they were five or six. My dad would tell you that I've been negotiating my bedtime and I watch my daughter do the same thing. Every night I ne- try to negotiate. And so it, it, it wasn't formal practice, but I've been practicing those skills for a long time. So when people ask the question, is there, is there a personality type that is good at sales? No, a lot of personality types. And it's been documented over and over and over and over again that some of the best salespeople are actually introverts. And depending mm-hmm. on your market, depending on your industry, you need to approach those things differently. And there's a lot of really high quality salespeople that can be developed into into any structure based on what the market need is. So I, I, I don't believe in the natural. Okay, well, but there are some people who certainly gravitate to it more naturally than others. I mean, I have a niece that I think is just, she worked in a clothing and high fashion store and I could get people to buy all kinds of stuff. I mean, she just enjoyed making people feel great about themselves, but not everybody's like that. I mean, there's people, frankly, like me, you know, I used to read books and spend my time in the library. I was just a a crashing bore. And I never found myself being very good about sales. I never liked it. I never, how do you help people like us, you know? You know, let's talk about that. Cause a couple things that you mentioned there, one, you mentioned retail sales. 
which is a lot of shaking hands, a lot of small talk, a lot of people just walking in and wasting your time. And then you're talking about a very different type of professional services sales. Those are those are very, very different things. And what I tell people is, is that what we want to do is, as an entrepreneur, if, if we want to optimize your abilities, what we want to do is play to your strengths and position yourself where not only you can enjoy it, but where you can succeed. Look, when we when we ask people to draw out the salesperson, almost all of them draw out the car salesman who walks up to you, slaps you on the back, tells you how right. great you are, and right. pushes you towards the most expensive car. But that's right. that is not really what professional sales is. And it's not a representation of the work. Most of high-level sales is value-added knowledge. And if we frame it that way. And understanding that your role is to help most of, to help a majority of your prospects first really define what their problems are, and then start the idea of working through pros and cons of different solutions, and then develop the requirements and the budgets and the process for making a decision. Those are things that I would be willing to bet you're very good at. You know, it's interesting. I find that a lot of clients are potential clients, and these are probably not the right fit clients. And maybe it's a question of doing a better job of profiling your ideal client. But a lot of clients that you would approach, they say they're interested, but really I think what they want is some free advice and then just to go off and kind of keep doing the same thing they've always done. There are a fair number of clients, and I'll bet you've seen more than a few of these, <laughs> who say they want to change, they want to do things differently, but the instant you give them any homework or anything that requires them to engage and be part of the process, things just turn to mud and molasses. Absolutely. And and now we get into the fun of all of the things that sales has been taught over 50 years, and they just come up with new and new names for it, which is qualification. One of the things that I can tell you is qualification both ways is very important. Understanding indicators and, and what tasks and, and how do you and what actions you can expect your prospects to take if they're serious versus not serious. And working through all of that is so important especially when now you're taking the intuition of a founder who has been successful at sales and trying to push it to a team because that founder has those things that have been built over 5, 10, 15 years of developing and honing that intuition. Notice not natural, mm -hmm. but the, the scars on the back of having conversation after having conversation and developing that intuition, how do you develop that process that's not only can you run without that high level intuition, but improves as you gain that intuition? So you're right. There's a qualification process that has to come in there and that can be developed and designed and, and trained. Wow. That's a big enchilada right there. There's a few threads that I want to kind of pull apart <laughs> that you've touched on. One of them is entrepreneurs or small business people who have built up the clients. So I think there's people who are struggling still with the sales process and the qualification process. That's one group of entrepreneurs that have some opportunities, shall we say. And then there's also entrepreneurs who've been at it for a while and they have a stable of, you know, long-term clients and they love 
maybe socializing with him. I'm thinking of my brother is one of these people. He's got a group of about 10 or 12 clients and they love him to bits. He is their left hand and their right hand. He has managed to become the, the vaunted trusted advisor to his clients. You know, they go out to dinner and they play cards and he knows their family and stuff. But, you know, if my brother ever wanted to try to make a business of it, and I don't think he really does, but he could, I don't know if he would even like getting out of that role and relegating himself to the office and letting other people go out and go to soccer matches and go out for beers and pizza with these clients. You know, it's it's funny as you think about that and talk about that, there is always what is the end goal? What is your purpose? And not everybody wants and demands a hyper growth company that wants right. to go from one to five million and five to fifty million. Right. That's not everyone's goal. And right. one of the things that I try to push people for and push people to is this idea that I don't want to build something that you don't want to be the leader of. And so for <laughs> for some of our entrepreneurs, what they really want is to be able to increase their rates and be selective about the projects they take on. And in that case, we have to take them generally from taking on any client to being, you know, to to getting the revenue so that they can start editing and updating their client list, but also then positioning themselves in a way where, where they would have the opportunity to do that. Yeah. So that's kind of the in the middle one. But, you know, I'm amazed. I have a couple of friends who are trying to pitch exit planning. And in fact, if uh, listeners want to go back, they can listen to a couple of past episodes. There's one with Barry Goodman in particular, talking about business exit planning and how you need to prepare for that. That's the other end of the spectrum, right? That's the very mature business where the owner says, I see myself heading off to do something else. At least they say that. But I'm friends with a bunch of folks who try to do this kind of work. And it's very hard because the business owners who are in the middle of it love the doing of it. You know, they can't even bring themselves to imagine them not being in the middle of it and building the systems around it and processes to pull themselves away from it. And the exit planners are sitting there going, but you're leaving millions on the table. You know, you could scale this business and you could sell it. But I think at bottom, a lot of small business people don't want to do that, right? You know, I, I, so you're running into a couple problems and I've worked with a couple exit planners. So I, I, I've heard a few of these issues and one of them is this is my baby and you're telling me that you want me to prepare to give away my baby. Right. Even if logically... And uh, intellectually, we can rationalize that, that at some point I have to remove myself. And even if the uh, energy and the passion has gone away, there is a large emotional change that is happening there. And not everyone's ready to, to do what it takes to make that change. Right. And then on top of it, you're saying my baby's ugly. And now I have to change this for somebody else to run it rather than them just doing what I do. Right. And I, I like it the way it is. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so I, I don't envy exit planners. It's a tough gig. And 
there's where a lot of professional services, the idea of getting your ideal client profile right. And what so many people do is ideal client profile is surface level, meaning revenue and industry and your market segments and the type of work they do and the, the number of employees, all of that is great and it's necessary. But there's a second layer to ideal client profile, especially for small businesses that has the psychographic and the beliefs and the, the type of way that people approach the work, not just the work they do that is necessary for, for the type of professional service work. Very interesting that you say that. You make an interesting point about looking for clients because one of the things that came to mind as I was thinking about what you do and our topic, our discussion before the recording about getting the special person out of the middle of the sales cycle is that I struggled with that myself. I had for a number of years, a consulting business. I would do projects for clients and there were bits that I could outsource, but my clients didn't really want me outsourcing stuff much. I mean, I did it because I needed to for mental self-preservation. I couldn't be, I couldn't replicate myself, but my clients didn't want me. They clearly did not want me offloading any of the significant work. They wanted to see and touch me every day or pretty close to it. So I guess my question for you is, is that the special person in a service business, is that a different process or the same process as if you're trying to sell a product and scale your sales and the work that's being done in the company? So th this gets fun now. And this is where <laughs> where we, we have to talk about when you go to to scale your sales, one of the things that we say is your service or product ready to scale as well. And we have yeah. a, a, a ready to scale assessment that we go through that basically says, look, one of the worst things we can do, and unfortunately, we've run into this wall more times than we care to admit, which is if we scale your sales successfully and you're not ready to scales on operations and service or product, we're going to destroy your company. Uh, ding, 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 right ding, there. Ding. And so what we look for specifically in services, we use uh, what we call critical chain project management. Critical change project management is a theory of constraints thing that's been around since the 90s. And the idea there is as we're scaling your sales, we want to understand where the um, special resources or the limited resources are. And so as we scale your sales, we want to make sure we're selling against the open capacity, not the special capacity. So in services, a lot of time that means what type of projects can you take on at any given time? How do you do forecasting for that to make sure that you are only bringing in the deals that you have capacity for at that current time? In consulting or professional services, that means the sales team has to understand the bench, the sales process has to understand the bench, and who can do what and when they can do it. Well, uh, I start to see the problem because if you're a oneer and your clients love you because you can do windows and you can do doors and floors, and but you can't scale that. I mean, that's they're like, oh, well, good. Well, we need this done. We need this done too. And it's like, you know, scope creep that most consultants worry about on steroids, right? But you it, can't you can't possibly scale that. No, you you can scale a sales team that understands your bench. 
I absolutely believe that. And developing the team to understand the bench and understand the limited or the scarce resource. So in all of those, what you're talking about in consulting is that at any given time, there is a scarce resource. There's one, two, five, 10 people that can do any specific task. And you can absolutely scale as a sales team that understands how to position that, how to understand when that resource can and should be available and how to buffer that person's time. You mentioned how consultants look at the bench. I'm not sure how you're using bench, but I guess people that can do the work, is that a fair way to put it? That, that is. And the, the bench is just the available consultants who aren't currently being used. Yeah. Who in some cases in the business may not yet exist, right? I mean, not that sure. could be one problem is that not enough of those people exist or not the right people exist. So assessing the bench you need is part of the problem. Give an example maybe of how you would go about looking at a limited resource in the process and then help design, redesign processes to make sure that that person doesn't go crazy or isn't over, you know, <laughs> uh, overworked and not being used efficiently. We have a, a bunch of clients that fit this realm. And so I'll, I'll speak to one of those examples. We were working with a, a client that sold auditing services. They had 29 different analysts. And some of those analysts were just frankly higher level than others, meaning that mm -hmm. they could take on more complex, more specialized work, including a couple that could only work in the, the pharmaceutical, well, they were the only one that could work in the pharmaceutical industry. And so as we went and did our bench and our capacity, one of the things, it's no different than a, um, a print shop with their floor planner. You know, what's the what does the day, the week, the month look like for when they're doing their jobs? And so as we started to map those special people, those special resources time over a day, a week, a month, and really turn it into that uh, job shop, if you will, you are now able to see not only when they will have, quote unquote, free time where that special resource gets put to the bench, which is a huge loss for the company as they are unique in the marketplace. They have a special advantage, all of those things. So you could plan your sales pipeline, your prospecting activity. You could negotiate with clients about kickoff times to fit when that special resource would be needed. So there's a lot of different charts. There's a lot of different math maps that you can use to do that. We recommend critical chain project management. But in reality, all you're doing is saying, Here's my special resource. They are the highest valued, uh, I shouldn't say valued, but have the, you know, the, the, the least amount or the scarcest resource. Mm -hmm. And they have a limited amount of time available. And here's how we're planning that time over the day, the week, the month. And here's the gaps. Here's the way we can put a buffer in front of them, meaning that we have a couple jobs waiting for when they're ready to kick off at all times. So there's never any downtime at the scarce resource. Oh, wow. That's well, you're at a level of maturity at that point where you have some different challenges in terms of, um, you know, I'm thinking of even small businesses. And of course, we all go to think about our ourselves or our friends and family. But a lot of entrepreneurs struggle, particularly in the service business side of things, they're really good at what they do, 
But where they struggle is trying to get to that next level of not being the only one because they are they're doing the client maintenance they're doing the work itself they're doing the admin stuff so how do you help those people with that kind of a process the answer is to get from an entrepreneur to where you can start working through where you are now growing a company and the idea there is that the first thing you have to do is to start to productize as much of the work as possible And by productize, I mean saying that nine out of 10 times, it's standard work. You're doing repetitive tasks. Once you do that, now you can start evaluating the skill and knowledge to complete any one of those standard tasks. And you have a couple different ways that you can move forward on it. I can move forward by lowering the ability, meaning I can can further improve the process where there's less knowledge and skill needed for it. Or I can go ahead and hire a higher price talent and knowledge, or I can hold that one for myself as I, I increase other, you know, I increase the handoffs. Yeah. I hand off the other areas. But Yeah. 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 Well, as, as you say, productizing your offering is a key component to this as a service provider myself. It is so challenging at the beginning to say i do x because the problem is you can do x y z and a whole bunch of other stuff and Mm -hmm. if you say i only do x there may not be enough of x to you know pay your mortgage and pay your bills so you do y and you do z and then before you know it you know then you're doing a and b and c (laughs) And, and you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, and, you do whatever's necessary. Yeah. And so, you know, I I always joke, I have two partners and somehow I'm the accountant of the group. And when I look at that time, what I ended up doing was I invested in working with a an outsourced gentleman from Fiverr who allowed me to create a spreadsheet that all of us could use. Oh, And so I removed the time that was necessary for me to do the work just by creating a Excel sheet. A tool that allowed you to offload some of the work you were doing. And now we, we go ahead and we, we put, you know, we all put the, the, the notes in the same way. We put the finances in the same way and out comes the numbers and 90% of the accounting is done without any manual method at all. Wow. Well, good for you. And to me, that's that's what we're talking about in that productizing. Any repetitive work you're doing that isn't the high value knowledge work as an entrepreneur, you should be doing everything you can to productize it and then create a system that that reduces the volume of work necessary to complete it. Yeah. Well, that I hope people are listening. That's a nugget right there. One of the challenges, as we alluded to earlier in the show, is that I think there are entrepreneurs who love the new challenge. You know, it's very hard for them to say this is what we do because the new thing that somebody's asking them to do is exciting. So how do you help entrepreneurs avoid the, um, I joke at it, call it the squirrel problem, 
I don't know if you ever saw the movie Big, but there's a dog that just is going about its business. And as soon as it sees a squirrel, it goes, squirrel. And it's off and running, you know, or some people call it the bright, shiny object syndrome. And people who love ideas like entrepreneurs are, I think, are often susceptible to that. How do you help them keep themselves on track? You know, it's it's funny. The the first thing, um, <laughs> I'm a rec- recovering squirrel chaser. So I do want to mention that. But one of the things I will tell you is that the first thing you have to do there is understand why. What is the motivation to doing and chasing that squirrel? And oftentimes it's because that's how that person finds value yes. um, and finds meaning in the work they yes. do. Yes. By finding something new and creative, that's where they've gotten the rewards their whole life. So they want to keep doing that. Yes. The second thing I, I, I would tell you is that there's two, two questions we always put in front of them. Is this the highest value task that you should be doing right now is creating a new solution? And the second question we asked is if you had to if you had to solve that with our current product, how would you do it? And oftentimes we don't have to do any work after that other than take the idea and put it in a parking lot. Because once you you don't want to lose the idea, some of those ideas are gold. And certainly the person who thought of the idea thinks it's gold. Yeah. So I have no interest in losing the idea, both from the sake of, hey, it could be valuable, and from the sake of the person's peace of mind to know that they didn't lose that idea. So right. to me, that is the, the, the value of this is the idea that you're not losing the idea and that person can now mentally and emotionally move on yep. to the next thing. Yep. The other thing that we always do is show the logic that says, look, if you sell the same thing 50 times, you will run faster and make not only more money, but more progress towards your purpose. So there's there's a change management piece to it that says, look, you're no longer an entrepreneur. You're now a founder and a leader mm-hmm. and you can't do everything custom. Yeah. And, you know, you, you're touching on something that I have seen among friends and past clients that maybe even looking in the mirror myself, which is they say they want to scale. And yet it's clear that being involved in the creative doings, pressing the flesh, whatever that piece is that gets the entrepreneur's juices flowing is, I think in some cases, entrepreneurs are just not honest with themselves. They say they want to scale. And yet, if you quiz them about what they love doing most, and they don't want to let go of, they can't scale because they can't let go of that. So what do you do with that? You know, that first we, we do have to understand their motivation and the why behind that. Uh, it, that is not a, a single solution nor a single problem. And so I, before well, that's I, a bummer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do. There is just huge value in the idea that says each person should be driving towards their own personal motivation and plan. So the the question becomes, is the need to do that creative work higher than your need to scale the company and run towards that purpose? If the answer is yes, awesome. Let's find a way for you to do that at the highest possible rates. The second answer is if the answer is no, and the need to scale and really run towards your purpose is higher, we need a way to offload some of the work so you can focus on the creativity and somebody else can do the productization. 
not everybody is meant to productize ideas and not everybody is meant to stay in the same spot. However, what you don't want is to lead, leave a bunch of nonsense for other people to clean up because it's just going to slow your company down. You know, Jeff, it occurs to me, you would probably, there are some venture capitalists out there who would love to have your services because what they have to intuit when businesses pitch to them is really at a very fast and distilled level what you're talking about, which is founders that come to them and say, give me a million dollars, give me $15 million, I want to scale this business. And they have to assess, does the person who's talking, well, they have to assess a few things. Does the person who's talking to me and pitching this, is this the person that's able to do that? I think first and foremost is the idea sound that you could be able to take it and scale it and run with it. But then they have to also ask, is the person who's presenting to me, the current CEO and or current management team, do they have the wherewithal to be able to extricate themselves as needed and become leaders? And if not, they're probably not a good candidate for venture capital. You know, it's I, we we've done both assessment work as well. You know, pre deal and and we've done a lot of work in helping venture capitalists scale their the their company's uh, sales departments. And there's there's a lot of different ways sales. I mean, a lot of different ways that venture capitalists approach this. We had a couple uh, that we worked with that think you know we know within two to three years we're replacing the leadership team because they're not meant to scale. That's not what they're they're for. Uh, we'll we'll move into chairman of the board. We'll put in a leadership team behind them and stuff like that. And then there's ones that look and say, we're only investing in leadership teams that have done this before. So I think a lot of that depends on the, the venture capitalist that you're working with. But to your points, th- there has to be an ability for any company that wants to scale to not only productize their offering, productize the way they're taking it to market, but also productize how they're coming up with that next idea and a lot of times the entrepreneur is the one that that needs to, to start playing within a new system. When do companies need an outside an outside hand to be able to make that jump, do you think? <laughs> um when when they're ready. Uh, you know, it's I, I say that jokingly because there's no hard and fast answer for that. We we have a couple clients who we said, you're not ready for our work. And they said, look, we want you to do all of this work. So we never hit the, the ceiling and we don't hit those friction points. It's worth us to pay to pay some money on the front end to avoid it. And that that's fine. And did we have work, some- cl- Did that work out? It, it does. Cause we can build as your, as the entrepreneurs creating the mess, we're working with them to document the mess as they're doing it, if you will, and to organize the mess as they're doing it. Which just allows it to go a little faster and 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 avoid some of the hurdles and things like that, potholes, if you will. Well, I, it I could see a real advantage of doing that, um, a little bit over time because one of the things that happens in any organization is that people's behaviors and the way they do things get entrenched, and so if they have somebody like you around, my guess is they're not going to stay entrenched for very long. You know, I we I, I will tell you that I have no interest in staying entrenched. I have no no interest in letting anyone stay where they currently are. Um, 
you know, it's it's one of those things that if if you brought us in, you need change. And if if you're not willing to to make a change, then we're not in the right spot. So nobody stays entrenched in whatever their current process is. Now, getting it ahead of time has its advantages, but it also there's a there's a financial aspect to it. Yeah. And so there's always a conversation over that balance of of is it speed? Do we have the right information? Should we wait until we want to onboard a team? And so much of that depends on the individuals we're working with that we don't have a hard and fast rule as to when is the best time to bring us in. The best time to bring us in is really when you're ready to move forward and you're ready to scale or, or increase your rates. How you must have clients who say, oh, we're ready, but they're your sense is they're probably not really ready. How do you know that? So we, we do, as as I mentioned, for any of the, the people that really want to do a, um, what I would say is a scale, we have a ready to scale assessment that we walk them through that says, okay, here's all the things that are necessary for you to be in a position to scale. The, the, these aren't even the things you need to do to scale. These are the things that need to be in place to scale. And so that that is that is the first thing that we do for anyone that's begging to scale, if you will. The, the second thing that, that I would mention here is there's just, I'm going to try and find the nicest way to say this, but there's truth in it is the idea that there's a necessary and sufficient, meaning that these are all the things you, you have to have. These are the necessary conditions for you to be able to grow. And what we do is we, we go in and in the first 30 days, we say, here are the things that are missing. And if, if you're not willing to work on those things, there's no point in keeping us around because without those things, you're not going to scale. And we, and frankly, maybe, maybe a better way to put it is we can't do that without your, we, we can't scale you without these things. So if we're not going to go to work on them, we're not a good fit. So is your, I, I forget what you called it, your, your questionnaire about ready, ready to, to readiness scale. to scale. Is that a separate offering that you have for, for, oh businesses? No, we, we do the ready to scale as part of our sales process. So we, we do a couple things mm -hmm. before we even are willing to work with you or charge for you. One of them is that you're, you're ready to grow. The other one is we're, we're, before we even start, we're going to find the one or two, two things that are immediately holding you back. All of that happens before we, we can ink a deal. Well, the reason I ask that is I'm thinking there are some entrepreneurs who I don't know if they're ready for you yet, but I think some of them are already thinking about this and are trying to think about how, how am I going to go about doing this? And so, um, you know, so I don't, I don't, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, I always love trying to find good connections with my network of people. And I'm just trying to um, figure out the best way to add value for them, but not waste your time. You know, I to this day, we have never wasted our time on any referrals, even the ones that don't like us. Um, I, I say that say that in jest, but we are we're, there's there's three partners and we're all very passionate about this community. Um, and by this community, I mean people that have ideas, people that have passions, people that have dreams. Um, I, I'll I'll tell you one of my favorite moments was from somebody that didn't fit that ideal client profile. 
he was he wanted to get on the speaking circuit for colleges and he he was doing different a bunch of different things and uh within three months we got his speaking business to that where he took his family on vacation for the first time in 12 years and so Holy buckets a, a lot of people you know my mentors and people around me that do the same kind of stuff they're like that was such a waste for you there's no way he paid you enough money for the time you put in and this was probably eight nine years ago now when i first got on purpose growth and i said you know what First of all, I got one of the best sleeps I ever got when I when he sent me that email that said, hey, because of the work we did, I got to take my family on a vacation. And second, I'll tell you what, you know, who's been my best, one of my best referral partners for the last nine years, bringing us into deal after deal. No, so I, I, I never look at those things as a waste of time. I never see those things as a negative, uh, even for the people who look at me and say, your, your, your process is insane. Why are you even talking? All of those things are opportunities and all of those are, are improvements. Wow. I love the way you look at things. So Jeff, if there are businesses who are starting to think about that and they're listening, um, I, you know, I have a couple of folks that I think might, might profit from a connection with you and what we can, you know, follow through with that after the show. But for people who are listening and are maybe you've sparked some thoughts or a light bulb has gone off. Are there resources or things that you would recommend that they read um, or do to kind of get their juices flowing and, and advance this a little farther? You know, that one of the, the books that has drastically changed my life and my thought process around this, I, I recommend to everyone, it's called It's Not Luck. Um, it's by a gentleman by Ellie Golrat. He was the founder and the inventor of theory of constraints. And it really is a, a very easy read on how to approach the sales and marketing problems. Um, I highly recommend that. It's um, called, what, say it again. It's called, it's not it's, luck. It's not luck. Okay. And it's a story of a gentleman that is uh, been put in charge of three different companies. All of the companies are struggling to get sales and they had to, they really had to sit there and logically think of a way to increase sales without increased investment or new salespeople or things like that. Wow. That sounds like a great book. Okay. Uh, I, I recommend it to everybody. It's, it's a book that changed the way that I approach sales. Fantastic. Well, and one last question if people listening are interested in learning more about on-purpose growth services or chatting with you or learning more about you and, and your company, what's the best way for them to reach you? The easiest way is jgalas at onpurposegrowth.com, J-G-A-L-A-S at onpurposegrowth.com. Or the, the other one that's that probably represents 90% of our inbound leads is LinkedIn. Uh, if you're on LinkedIn, I'm Jeff Galis with On Purpose Growth. You can find me there. I I, I connect and I talk. Uh, feel free to reach out. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for being on the show this week. You have um, you know, given me lots to think about, and I hope some of our, our other listeners as well. So again, thanks so much for being on the show this week and for joining me. 
I, I, I am grateful. And, and Doris, do you mind if I give one exercise for everyone to work through and think through for your audience? I'd love it. Go for it. Um, what what we always tell people, the fastest way to, to more business is to listen to the complaints about your industry. Listen to the reasons that people are very upset with you and your competitors. And if you can solve for those, your growth will go through the roof. And sometimes it's not easy, but I can tell you it's always worth it. I'm making a note myself. Thank <laughs> you very much for that extra nugget. So uh, that's the show for this week, folks. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you again to my special guest today, Jeff Galis, the president of On Purpose Growth. Now you can find more helpful information on my web so my website which is thesavvyentrepreneur.org. And there's a library of past shows in podcast on-demand form, as well as other resources like blogs, tools, and um, all of it's free. So check it out. Now, because the show is for you, my listeners, my door is always open for comments. I would love to hear from you. So send me your comments, questions, suggestions. Maybe you've got a guest that you can recommend, or you just want to shoot the breeze, you can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at thesavvyentrepreneur.org. I promise you'll always get an answer back from me. Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurship.